You are listening to Decoding Impact, a podcast by Sattva Knowledge Institute, hosted by Ratish Balakrishnan. Welcome to Season 2 of Decoding Impact. Every fortnight, we will engage leading thinkers and practitioners to understand what it takes to solve systemic problems at scale. For all the curious change makers committed to understanding the trade-offs and incentives to make this world a better place, this one's for you. The first unique identification number or Aadhaar number was issued in India on 29 September 2010 to a resident in Nandurbar, Maharashtra. Today, Aadhaar cards in India are ubiquitous. Almost all of us have it and most of us use it. However, as of December 2022, globally, around one in three people are without an ID and have reported difficulty in using financial services receiving financial support from the government, applying for a job and voting in elections. India has learned valuable lessons in developing digital public infrastructure with new initiatives such as ONDC, OKIN, Account Aggregator and so on. Therefore, there is a role India can play in enabling low and middle income countries to drive services and social value with their own digital public infrastructure. How can more countries benefit from what we are doing today? How can they replicate it in a manner that builds the agency of the country to deliver better welfare for their own people? What are the challenges in replicating what India has done in its digitalization revolution? Is it possible that what has been built for 1.4 billion people can actually support a country with 130,000 people? To discuss this and decode how India's learnings can be reflected to the larger global south, I have with me today someone who has thought deeply about developing and disseminating technologies that are economically attractive, environmentally sustainable, and socially acceptable. It is my pleasure to introduce today's expert, Professor S. Rajagopalan, who is currently the president of MOSIP and OpenG2P, both housed within IIIT Bangalore. Professor Rajagopalan is an entrepreneur, teacher, advisor, and advocate, and the subject matter expertise and interests include innovation dissemination, economics of innovations, geographical information systems, and the economics of information technologies. Wonderful to have you here with us today, Professor Rajagopalan. Thank you. Sir, I wanted to first start by understanding MOSIP in a bit more detail for the listeners and its role in the global landscape. If you can maybe start with that, I can then follow up with some of my other questions. MOSIP is Modular Open Source Identity Platform. So, there is generally there is a tendency to compare it with the Aadhaar because Aadhaar is the world's largest identity program and has been around in this country for now more than a decade. So, there is always a tendency to compare what is Aadhaar, what is MOSIP. MOSIP is whatever Aadhaar's features are there. Almost all of them are available in MOSIP's platform. But what differentiates is that MOSIP is modular. So a country can configure it for their own need. It is not monolithic. For example, if a country doesn't want a particular biometric, it need not use that biometric. When I say biometric, I mean fingerprint or 
iris or face or voice or whatever. But a country doesn't have to use that. For example, in Morocco, by the local law, national law, only police is empowered to collect, maintain and use fingerprints. Other departments or other agencies cannot. So the MOSIP in Morocco is configured in such a way that fingerprint is not collected. And when one has to use fingerprint, MOSIP interacts with the police database and uses that. So MOSIP that way is modular. Second, it's open source. The code, the documents, the scripts, everything is available in GitHub. So anybody anywhere in the world can implement an identity program without having to refer to MOSIP at all. They can download, implement. They can improve upon the code. They can suggest alternate mechanisms. And they can contribute back to the code. So it's in the true open source spirit, it's available for everybody. everywhere. And the third is that we realize that we do not want to give a complete solution because we do not want to give, if there are 100 countries who do not have identity program, we don't want to make 100 solutions. We wanted to create a platform which will do two things. One is it will enable countries to configure their own identity program which shoots their culture, their context, their legal framework, their policy. Second, it also gives an opportunity for the local ecosystem to start developing, to support, to maintain, to create on top of the identity platform some more use cases, more enterprises could come in. So we made this as an identity platform. So it has to integrate with, say, device manufacturers, a fingerprint scanner or a camera or iris scanner. It has to also integrate with some other software packages. For example, ABIS. This they have to integrate with. So that it gives an opportunity for the local ecosystem to take MOSIP, integrate with whatever they need to integrate in a local way, and then implement it. MOSIP as a platform then can go to every country. It's almost 90% of the whole solution. But 10% is the customization, localization. Like Sri Lanka would want it in Sinhala, Tamil and English. Morocco is Arabic and French. The Philippines is English. So they can customize it the way they want. They can make their own workflow. Uh, that's the idea of most. wanted to ask three follow-up questions from you. One is I wanted to start with the problem. Because it is very specifically only identity. Why is this so important is one question. Second question is the substitutes. Let's say in a world where MOSIP did not exist, what were people doing before and how are they addressing these challenges? And the last part of it is what are the type of countries that are benefiting from MOSIP? And uh, you know what defines the characteristics of such countries? But maybe we start with the first question. Why is identity so important and uh, is this a problem that a lot of countries are grappling with? Identity is important when a particular country has a large number of government-to-person programs. To give you an example, that if government wants to provide, let's say, food that subsidized rate to people below poverty line, it has to identify first who are these people below poverty line. So there are two essential issues get involved. One is uniquely identifying that person who is eligible. Second is not missing out anybody who is eligible. These two are important. In the old time, before, let's say, an identity is there, we have been having this public distribution system 
right from 1950s. In fact, even earlier to independence, there used to be ration shops in India during World War II. So public distribution system is not a new story. So what used to happen is that there used to be registers of people below poverty line made up by the local government official or the local panchayat president. So it depends upon them to include somebody, exclude somebody. Second is if somebody has to access this benefit, they always needed an intermediary. First to get onto the list. Second, every month when they went to the ration shop to get the food grains on a subsidized basis, they needed somebody to recommend them. The shopkeeper can say, no, it's not available or come tomorrow. It's not for you and those kinds of things. So one is accessing a right is important element. Second is to minimize the wastage as well as target the government program to people. Identity, uniquely identifying a person becomes important. So in countries where these are not there, like you take Europe for example, identity is not a big issue there at all because there is not many government to people welfare programs which is targeted. You have welfare programs like let's say Sweden healthcare system or England NHS, they are welfare program, but then they are not targeted. They are available for everybody. So you don't have to really prove your identity in a very unique way. Any document can do. Your driving license or a passport or a, any, any document could do because you are not targeting. But where you want to target some portion of the population for a benefit. Farmers to be given so many dollars per acre or pregnant woman to be given iron tablet. Then you, when you want to target this and if you want to get efficiency, reduction of wastage and more important than this is giving this right to the people to ascertain and access their right without an intermediary, you need an identity. You need an identity which can be asserted by the individual. And that identity has to be unique. You can ask a question, why can't I give an identity like the school identity card, no, the photograph. But can it not be duplicated? So you need uniqueness. So unique identity, then it becomes important. So that's, a, that's why identity becomes very important. And this is an important point, sir. So before I come to the second question, I wanted to spend some time on this. When Aadhaar started in India, there was this question on what is the problem we are solving. I remember in the early days, it was seen as a surveillance national security as an identity question. Uh, but what you shared right now is a very targeted welfare delivery, you know, use case for identity. As you talk to different countries, does that also emerge saying, you know, is this a, a surveillance need? Is it a national security need versus a welfare need and so on and so forth? Most countries are looking at identity for welfare, social protection. They have other mechanisms for Secure national security and surveillance. You don't need an identity program for national security and surveillance. Uh, the number of CCTV cameras on the road and the way you can use them and with uh, AI and all coming in, you don't need an identity database to actually do any kind of surveillance. I don't believe so. But most countries whom we work with currently, they are all using identity for the targeted welfare delivery. Social protection, that is their goal, not uh, surveillance. And uh, so this uh, links me to the second question, which is before, let's say, MOSIP existed, what were they doing? 
and your earlier answer sort of uh, answered it partly in the sense that welfare delivery is not new but maybe they just had a system which had high level of leakage and they had paper systems or there was probably rent seeking behavior in the last mile but are there other technological alternatives to mosif that uh, countries have tried and are there drawbacks to those uh, type of technology there were uh, closed proprietary systems in the past there were vendors we are not the first to offer an identity system there were vendors there have been countries which have used those vendor based system for example that uganda's identity system started in 2011 almost coterminous with aadhaar kenya had an identity system around the same time lot of countries in the world have tried with such identity systems uh, deliver to them in a box by a number of uh, vendors from across the world and countries uh, got into two problem one problem is the vendor lock in that means that for any upgradation of the system or any expansion of the system they needed that vendor to to implement it which it require which resulted in more cost for them more outgo of money second thing is that increasing concern about data sovereignty started worrying these countries where does this vendor keep his data he collects where is the data stored do we have access to the data can we actually get the data for some other purpose if so under what conditions for example that if there is an identity data and let's say the health department wants the identity data for national health identity management or health record management will this vendor part with that data or not part with that even after the consumer consents so these were the questions so the questions of one is vendor lock in and increasing cost and second is this whole question of data sovereignty force countries to look forward to solutions where they can drive they can design architect and drive the agenda they don't have to depend upon a vendor they may need a vendor to maintain but they would say here is a system which we have designed you may have to maintain it so that's a advantage within i mean it leads to the a set of questions but maybe i'll ask my third question come back to that question the third question was which are the type of countries that are you know approaching us or engaging with mosip uh, today one i see as you rightly said these are countries that have a high targeted welfare sort of approach to from the examples you've given these seem to be from the global south largely africa asia south asia and so on but any defining traits and also sir if you could give us some examples of example countries that are using mosif today that will also make it very tangible for us see we currently mosif is working with about 11 countries and five or six more countries have shown interest in various stage of understanding the fit the countries which we are working most of them are in the Africa. all regions of africa we have western african countries starting from morocco togo sierra leone burkina faso guinea on the eastern side we have ethiopia madagascar we have uh, many countries in africa which works with us and some more countries are talking to us asia we have philippines which is the largest program to date they have already issued uh, 75 million identity numbers using mosif morocco has done about 10 million ethiopia is closely inching towards 1 million so this is one 
Philippines is one and second is Sri Lanka. In all these countries, without fail, all of them are you wanting identity as the foundation over which they are going to build their delivery of benefit, social welfare architecture, what they call a social protection. That's what they are going to do. The identity is the foundation. Morocco has got four use cases to start with. The free health care for a certain set of people, health insurance for a certain other set of people, old age pension and scholarships to students. So this is on identity, they will build these use cases. Ethiopia similarly has some use cases. In Sri Lanka has some. Uh, Philippines, they have a department of social welfare and development that runs almost 70 social welfare programs. They want to slowly make all their social welfare program to leverage their identity platform. So the first demonstration is going to happen where they are going, they are basically talking about subsidizing poorer people for purchase of medicines. So that they are going to test it out. So all of them without fail. Currently, we are talking to people in Caribbean islands and in Latin America. All of them are looking identity for the purpose of uh, social protection. And uh, give us a sense of the timelines. So when did MOSIP actually it conceptualize? When did it go live? Because 11 countries, in how many years? We started in 2018, April. Our code was available for trial by 2019, August. And by 2019, November, October, November, Philippines started the pilot program to test out MOSIP. They came and talked to us and they built a sandbox in Manila where MOSIP was installed and they started with, uh, they had a target of trying it out with 10,000 identity. By 2020 February, they had done 11,000. So, Morocco was the first country to sign an MOU with us to roll out nationally. Then they have to get their an act passed in the parliament, they have to get the rules published, they have to have a privacy commission examining and approving this. All that process took about two, two and a half years. So they also started roughly the same time. And so these two were the first countries. Then based on, you know, there is this conference every year in Africa called ID for Africa Summit. And this brings 50 countries of Africa to one location. 2019, it was in Johannesburg, and 2020-21, it was online because of COVID. 22 was Marrakesh, and this year, it's going to be in Nairobi. 50 countries meet there. So there, they interchange notes, they talk to each other, they listen, there is exhibitions, and there is all kinds of things happening, workshops, uh, or panel discussions. So then they come to know of it more. So based on that kind of conferences and workshops and other countries slowly started coming in. Uh, the Western African countries, Ethiopia, Madagascar. And so what you said earlier was interesting, sir, because, uh, you know, you assume this is a technology problem. Uh, saying there's open source software, you put it on a server, you run. But there is a legal and a policy aspect to this, which is important. There is the privacy and the data security question to this. There is also the technology capability of the host country 
to be able to manage this and so on this uh, individual awareness there is political salience today is there a playbook that has emerged saying okay here is the typical five six step process a country typically goes through when it has to set identity for social welfare no each country is a different context altogether but we have some common do's and don'ts so for example what we tell countries now is that even if you have decided on moseb first do your pilot if you do your pilot within 90 days 3 months we will know what are all the pieces you require to keep this program successful and going at the country is it your resources problem manpower resources or other resources or is your policy framework you need to tweak what is it that you need to know you will know all of them in this uh, pilot phase because pilot phase is nothing but a miniaturized version of what will actually happen so we first tell people to say and which is see we don't charge anything to anybody that is another advantage of this program neither the governments get uh, pay as a fee nor the commercial ecosystem which we interact with us and becomes uh, empaneled partners they also don't pay us anything for Uh, you know for the knowledge transfer testing their system certifying them they don't pay us anything so it becomes easier for governments to then say okay let me do a pilot and see what happens and during that 90 days to 120 days the government realizes what all they need how many people what kind of data center what's the kind of uh, other infrastructure they require do they need to tweak the act or they need to Tweak the policy. All that gets thrashed out in that. So one is a pilot. Importance of the pilot. Uh, we emphasize. Second thing, what we emphasize is MoSIP inherently has built-in fairly very strict protocols on privacy and data protection. It's completely user-controlled. You know, sharing of the data. There is a user portal. and the user port through the user portal the user can control with whom what field of data can be shared for how long and for what purpose and the log is maintained for some time and then destroyed as it is everywhere so there is a fairly high amount of security and protection we tell them how it has been designed what they should do to keep this data protection and security but in the event is that finally the implementation of those guidelines depend upon the country the country might say that i may not want to implement so much of security management system etc but slowly the awareness is coming into the country saying that cyber security and data protection is very important some of the western african nation because of their longer relationship with france and europe they also started looking at the data protection security issues that europe is debating the gdpr kind of regulation they say can we take some leaf out of it and use it for our country so those conversations happen so that becomes very important for us for the country to decide how they want to build their system how they want to architect what will be there what will not be there and the third we are also telling them that the capacity is important local capacity is important. you might outsource maintenance you might outsource even implementation saying that you integrate and implement system integrator but there must be somebody in the government a small team five six people who need to be completely knowledgeable about the entire thing so we always insist that there is a local team available who are trained by us before we train even the system integrators 
So these are some things we talk about. It sort of seems like a very good offer to say no to. I mean, you're getting free software that's proven across a billion people. You know, it is open source. They have entire control. They can customize it as per their needs. What is the resistance? Do you find uh, maybe stakeholders within the country resisting some parts of it? Also, how is the optics? And I don't know if it's the right question of a country like India coming in and saying, "Hey, we can help you do things." The resistance is not there. I don't think there is a resistance. There has been. See, initially when Mosif was not proven, the year twenty eighteen nineteen, there were campaign by these vendors who were earlier uh, selling identity software to discredit Mosif to say that it won't work. How can you trust a university and university in India? Uh, it won't work. How will they support you after five years? University professors will just change their. Field, they might uh, get fascinated by something else, or they might retire and go away. So this is not a company which can guarantee you. They don't pick up any liability. So all these kind of campaign used to happen, and there were even attempts by some of them to set up a organization to say that we will create open standard, not open source code. But create open standard, and you see any software which meets with this open standard is good enough. Why do you want open source? But after 2020, after Philippines implemented it, Morocco, these things have fallen wayside. There is no longer that kind of questions. Most of the time, countries they don't resist, but they hesitate sometimes because of their own estimation of what does it mean for their country in terms of a money, how much money they have to put. Will World Bank fund it? Will African Development Bank, Inter-American Bank fund it? Who will fund this exercise? So that is one question. Second question: A lot of them have this hesitancy based on: uh, Do they have capacity? Can their own people maintain it? So they don't want to become dependent on one more vendor to maintain it later on. So what capacity? But it gets sorted out over a period of time. There is no such hesitancy. Similarly, people don't view this, at least in the country level, as. Something as India trying to win some brownie points and uh, show its muscle as a software world superpower, etc. Because they know they are not talking to government of India; they are talking to a university. It's a interaction between a government and a university. And uh, Indian software quality and its prowess is world proven. So they feel that coming from a Indian ecosystem like Bangalore, our software is likely to be of that of world class, but it is not viewed as uh, government of India pushing something and uh, as a part of its agenda on world superpower. No, the people have very clear expectation. They are they know they are dealing with a university. That's interesting and refreshing to know because uh, as you watch the G20 narrative. The idea of the digital public it's being India's greatest export today, from a thought point of view, was very prominent. So, and when you start something which is starts with MOS, it is also easy to assume this is a government entity, you know, uh, as well. So to have that independent standing as an academic institution that is able to drive it with countries, I think is, uh, and it's refreshing that countries are able to see it as well. And uh, going back to the earlier question, are there some prerequisites except for the policy pilot that you had suggested? 
except also on the data privacy. Are, do you sort of give them a set of prerequisites as well, saying, please keep these aspects in mind? I think we adopt an attitude which is actually custom design. We have a team, a dissemination team. Whenever a country shows some interest, they have a long conversation with them. And then they design something for that country because one country is different from another country. We are basically, we use this model of uh, generally like any kind of physician, you know, a consultant physician. You go to a doctor, each patient is different from each other patient. So in that kind of way. So like, for example, only recently we had some interesting dialogue with uh, SVG Islands. It's a very small island in Caribbean, which is... Total population is 132,000, which is not even an assembly constituency in India, but they want to have an identity system, digital identity system, and social protection programming. So, and similarly, on the other hand, Ethiopia is 110 million. So, we have all in between. So, this team actually talks country to country. We do not have a kind of a common minimums approach. We have this. So we talk to the country, understand them. Then maybe somebody might visit them to see what is there locally. And then we'll tell them, show them how others have done the pilot. We have the videos, we have the discussion, we have the papers. Then we go through that. So it's country by country. Two related questions. Sir. One is, and I was in a different conversation once where the discussion was about, is building for 1.4 billion people a liability in because we've built it for all safeguards, all environments, etc. And I know you touched upon the modular aspect of it, that you don't have to take the whole elephant, you can take a part of the system that is most relevant for you, run it. But uh, how transferable has it been to take it from a 1.4 billion people, uh, you know, infrastructure to 132,000 uh, people infrastructure? That was one. Second is over a period of time, do you sort of see an ecosystem of let's say service providers or others emerging who are able to sort of enable governments across various uh, countries and where it doesn't have to be, let's say, the institution alone driving this. Both of these will be good to hear. See, first of all, actually software, when you start unbundling it and finally you resolve it into some reusable common element, those elements are safe. To give you an example, let's take UPI. UPI is same whether I do one transaction a day or one billion transaction a day. It's the same piece of code, same piece of uh, architecture and design. What uh, differs is the size of the data center, the way data center is architected, protected, etc. The, the communication channels, how many channels I need. What should be the bandwidth? This is what will determine the scale at which you are using. But the software fundamentally is the same. So, like Gmail is the same whether it is one individual or an organization is using or one billion people is the same. It's only the other things which matter. So, we do. So, that way, most of the, the essential core is same, whether it is only 100,000 country or 100 million. The architecture will depend upon how many servers I need, how do I need to protect these servers, how many, what should be the bandwidth, whether I need 4G, 5G, how do I do? That will depend upon the country to country. 
which is what we help the country in design so it's so it doesn't really matter whether this has worked at 1.4 billion scale because you unbundle it and bring it down to the brass tacks it's all the same uh any ticket booking is same there is a journey you want to make there is a origin there is a destination a ticket has to be bought whether the ticket is done for a bus with 100 passengers or train with million passengers is same uh that's that's also behind the ondc or beckon protocol and all that you unbundle it to the lowest minimum second you asked about the ecosystem we were very conscious right from the beginning that ecosystem must be there for see identity programs are for decades universities can't keep maintaining it for decades so currently we have 60 plus private uh, firms who are mosip certified to make those devices which will work with mosip fingerprint scanners iris and all and 25 plus more uh, system integrators who can actually configure each country's needs and then and actually countries engage system integrators philippines has engaged one morocco has engaged another ethiopia is one country which hasn't yet engaged a system integrator they are doing it by themselves uh, togo is has hired one so system integrators are already available about 25 of them they can maintain run and help the countries device manufacturers so ecosystem building is an important aspect and that we were conscious right from 2018 and that's the and we have a standardized procedure how they get onboarded how do we train them how do we test them out and there is a third party independent verification and testing the whole procedure is there. one i wanted to also ask you about the value unlocking that happens like when with certain countries where you were surprised at how they were able to uh, you know benefit from this what sort of schemes or value they were able to unlock for their citizens etc some of those stories i think will also be very helpful to hear from you too early now because uh, identity program itself is just maturing in some of these countries some countries are still on the drawing board countries where it's maturing like philippines or in like for example philippines did this now when their people came to register for id the same event and the same form the same data they used to open bank accounts for women and uh, i was told about 4 million women opened bank accounts because it was in the roughly the same location of course it was not based on identity it was at the time of registering for identity could, they could register for the bank account also and the, they could certify that the data could be used by them some minimum amount of data now philippines is actually designing some of their social welfare program based on authenticity one of the things which they are trying to do is to integrate their civil registry system so that any child who is born is given assigned identity number at birth itself though the biometric may be collected after it reaches the age of 5 but the number is assigned so it can use they are also integrating some social welfare program i mentioned about the medicine subsidy morocco has three four programs which they are building those registers now they have started doing that uh, 10 million or or they also want to make a family register saying these families are eligible for these benefits so morocco is doing that so another 2 3 years i think this will be extensively used
systems. Some are wanting, Ethiopia wants payment system, government to people payment systems. It will get done in two, three years. Two questions uh, from my side more in terms of what is the next value unlocking that can happen. One, I know that government of India is already setting up a structure to share some of our digital public goods. Outside of MOSIP also, uh, you know, like our COVID application is now being used, etc. Do you see the mandate of MOSIP becoming larger than identity at some point? To look at some of our payment infrastructure, some of our health infrastructure that we are building and so on and so forth, where it sort of becomes a suite of tools that are then available for people. I think what's one question. The second question is even more, uh, let's say, speculative, which is, as countries start to get this common identity systems, even though that is all very different, is there a way to imagine a network of identities that can cover across countries, especially where, let's say, if Middle East picks up what we are doing right now, I can all imagine, given migration and other aspects, there are probably use cases that cut across national boundaries as well. So both of these, I'd love to hear you. The first one, talking in terms of whether MOSIP will do something more than identity, I don't think so. The identity itself, we are we have another two-year roadmap and many more things will have to be done. Lot more things, you know, there is single sign-on, number of things are there. Identity on the phone, maybe identity when network is not available, how do you prove your identity? Authentication when network is not available. So, decentralized identity, federated identity, there are so many things. Uh, MOSIP itself will not become a something more. But the institute uh, has started another program because Open G2P is another platform which we are building for benefit, government to people benefit transfer, registry building, authentication using identity, maybe payment transfers. Number of, so that is a separate project but done by the institute. And the third thing which we are doing is, we are saying that there are many DPGs in the world. India is not the, though it is the most successful source of DPGs and the most impressive track record, there are many DPGs, if I take payment, uh, there is Moja Loop in the open source, uh, there is MIFOS, Brazil use something called BIX, and uh, India has UPI, but UPI is not open source, it's a closed source. So there are many DPGs out there in the world which are doing many parts. So countries may be able to use them. So what is important is the capacity of the continue to be built to actually think, imagine, architect and design that DPI. Maybe some components of India may become useful, some components elsewhere may become useful, some they themselves might develop. So to do this, uh, basically to increase the capacity in the country to Imagine first, think through and design their own architecture. The institute has set up a center for digital public infrastructure. The DPI center is not going to develop any piece of code. It is not going to develop any software. We are going to empower countries saying that this is how you can unbundle your, uh, what is your need. And this is how you can make your own roadmap. And this is how we will train your people and empower your people so that they can forever design their own DPI. So that's the focus of the center. And once they design, maybe some piece like ONDC might fit in. Maybe Divoc, which is what Ovin's fundamental platform might fit in. Maybe a DigiLocker might fit in. It may fit in, but it may be from some other places also. You have Mojalo, you have Mipos, you have so many other 
in every field there are other so they can countries will then start saying which one is better what is my criteria and then they will choose and build i want to come back to the question on the identity network piece i asked yeah i'll just give you that example one is that this transborder migration of people is a fact and a lot of countries want to encourage that for economic opportunities especially countries which are neighbors and small like you have this western africa program and or you have caribbean caribbean have many islands they want governments there want to adopt a regional approach saying people from one the european union you know people with the passport of one country can go and work in some other country so how do you ensure identity authentication gets done across borders so we have a procedure which is possible with mosef that identity issued at by any country can be authenticated at any other location can be authenticated and uh, and used by a migrant in any other location if the other location approves such authentication it will still be left to the country whether they want to approve but the mechanism already exists so we call it as federated identity also where we would want at some point in time we also want to make uh, id issuance itself not monolithic decentralized completely we would like to issue an id as soon as somebody registers in a very decentralized manner so there is a decentralized issuance authentication across borders which is already there in mosif that feature of authentication anywhere is always so you sir talked about this identity conference that happens in africa where 50 countries come for us uh, to be able to say something like mosif doesn't have to be mosif something like mosif as a digital identity is available in every country what are some of the two or three foundational elements that you think should fall in place that will accelerate adoption across countries of uh, initiatives like most the first is an understanding of the country's desire to provide social benefits the identity is hinges on country's desire to provide social benefits if that is not high on the political agenda, is delivery of social benefits high on the political agenda if it is not high on the political agenda there is no need for identity in the first place so that is one so if people have accepted the un sustainable development goals as their own goals then that makes it easier for the countries to decide the second important stuff is that once you have decided that delivery of benefit is on the political agenda your own capacity to actually implement maintain and sustain it even if there is a help from a system integrator or a commercial partner available is very important so you have to evaluate whether we have the capacity within the government to actually run this program as someone said you can outsource doing you cannot outsource thinking so that's what is important whether you have that capacity if not how to get that capacity so that is second most important thing the third most important thing is the monetary resources required to keep you know that it's all investments which will pay back by itself over decades like if you really decade if you really look at aadhar aadhar would say that it has paid back many times its uh, investment by just reduction in the leakages in the system 
So it take took about a decade to appreciate those benefits. So do you have that wherewithal to sustain a program for a decade? So these are some essential things that. And I know that World Bank has an identity focus. You said Africa has an identity focus. Is there a global enabling system that is also building some of this local capacity, uh, enabling access to finance, which enable you know which supports this. Uh, Investments across countries as well. Are there other global tailwinds? There are. There are foundations which are doing this. There is, for example, DPG Alliance is a DPGA which has a program. Then you have private foundations like the Tony Blair Institute, which works in Africa. You have Norwegian Agency for Development. You have some of the private uh, founders, uh, Gates Foundation. They all have programs which is uh, centering around. Digital transformation identity is one piece of that. So there, but not as a one single global organization like UN. World Bank has a program. Similarly, is the other other role, Asian Development Bank, African Development, all of them. Sir, I want to step back from the discussion, which has been very specifically focused on identity, to the point you made on the Center for Digital Public Infrastructure. my personal view and you know we had pramod verma on the podcast uh, you know two weeks ago as well is that the number of people who are able to think digital public infrastructure in india is uh, in india and i think globally are not too many i mean i don't think it's a technology coding problem i feel like how do you really think this way in a way that you can get down to first principles build it as a modular structure etc so one i wanted to validate whether you feel that is true and as you think about the central for digital public infrastructure in iit do you feel that as a way to promote this way of thinking among engineers entrepreneurs uh, solution change makers and so it's kind of partly true what you said that there are not many people who can think in this fashion if you see if you really look at uh, software business let's say over the past 6 7 decades its focus has always been on solutioning banks were there so i need a core banking platform airlines were there so i need a airline ticketing system so the approach and thinking has always been that i need to build solutions for an industry so the software became solutioning for an industry i built a solution for bfsi i build solution for health i build solution for government i build solution for army but is always solutioning to move away from that and then say all your solutionings are built on some basic building blocks something like a lego block and if i have my lego block i can make any shape out of it more than lego block i could even say a standgram and that is very difficult to get the for most developers because you are brought up on this diet of solution where you have to be weaned away from that and then say we are not interested in solutioning in the first we are interested in identifying what is that reusable shareable basic principle so when you really look at that thing down what is reusable shareable so you would find that all contracting are essentially between two parties with some terms and conditions booking an uber is a contract buying something on amazon is a contract booking a plane ticket is a contract hospital payment is a contract 
But if I say that I can extract the all contracting out of all this and then say this is the contract requirement and this is how the contract protocol will work, then I can use the same protocol for any one of the things. That is the beauty of ONDC. ONDC is built on one of such protocols so that you know that it could be contracting for anybody to anybody. So that thinking is difficult to get. But why I said partly true is now increasingly people are looking at things as components and basic building blocks and how can I do this, etc. Because what has happened is that after the mobile phones came, this is my personal view, mobile phone footprints have to be very small. Because they had very limited capacity in the beginning. So if the footprint has to be very small and you needed to develop an app, you would want the app to be broken down in such a way that whether I can reuse the same thing for various. Can I reuse the mobile phone camera app for scanning a QR code as well as taking a picture, as well as sending, let's say, some sample of my face for authentication? I'm using mobile phone camera. Because of the mobile phone and my requirement that I need to have my apps to be really small, local footprint, to leverage as much as possible, which is already available. Can I use the SMS to send messages? Can I use something else? So this whole thinking about saying building blocks came quite popular. And mobile phone is now almost 25-year-old technology. So it is now mainstream to say, so I will, you know, you would not have heard this word stack, say, 15 years ago. Nobody talked about stack. But now everybody talks about stack because this whole concept has come in. That's why I said partly true. Number of people are still not many, especially if you take Global South. Not many people appreciate that. They are still in the solutioning mindset. Even India is still in the solutioning mindset. If you sit with electricity boards, if you sit with, with our transport companies, government, they still talk in terms of solution. I want a treasury solution. I want a KSRTC solution, a BMTC solution. But over a period of time, this... Thought has come saying that yes, we could break down into blocks and reuse the blocks, share the blocks. So it is not necessary that everybody has to build the same blocks. I can make a solution out of some common blocks. It's number of people are increasing, and that is the role of the center. Center has to increase that number of people across the world. That's And I think the point you make about solution, I can totally relate to. It's easier to say, I'm solving this problem. Uh, you get money easily out of it. You get the stakeholder aligned, etc. When you're building blocks, there's a certain imagination of constructing all of the blocks together, which I think is uh, is not easy. Sir, you've had a chance to work in the government, quasi government role. You've been in the nonprofit space as well. One of the questions that we always ask at Satwa is, what should be philanthropy's role in guiding something forward? And we also believe that philanthropy, there are things that it should not do. It shouldn't do everything. Partly money is limited. Sometimes we sort of create subversive incentives. In the light of our discussions, two related areas. One area is how do we promote, let's say, identity across uh, global south as one focus area. And the other is how do we promote DPI, DPG thinking in the world. Knowing what you know of the problem and of the ecosystem, what are some of the things that uh, you think philanthropy should focus on? See, my personal view is philanthropy should always demonstrate, should never implement. Demonstrate in the sense that here is a way of doing things. So develop that 
way and then showcase it. So if you are talking in terms of identity, philanthropy, what it can do is to say that how identity can be used. You could showcase. You could imagine with the country saying multiple ways of doing it. You could get the local ecosystem or the local startup culture to work on imagining how their identity system, which is already in place, can be leveraged and used. And showcase. Once it is showcased and demonstrated, it is for the country and the businesses in the country to take it forward to scale it up to the population scale or whatever. Philanthropy can take risks much before businesses can take. Philanthropy can take risk in developing that way, developing that initial technology demonstration as we would call. And that technology demonstration would uh, stand good set. To give an example, long back, Japan used to follow this model. Miti in Japan, that's famous. They would know that individually industry cannot take risk because it's quite a risky stuff, let's say, development of entertainment electronics, like even tape recording. So what they would do is they would, the government would invest identical amount of money in five or six private industries saying, you people develop this technology. Each one of you can use Others also, if you want to, nobody will, among your group, you don't have to pay royalty, except if it goes outside your group, and you will all own the combined intellectual property. So, METI actually supported after the World War II so many development of technology by taking the risk of failure of innovation away from the industry. Philanthropy can do the risk of failure of the innovation in the public space, in the digital public good and DPI space can be taken up by the philanthropy. And that's what they are doing. When MOSIP is funded by Gate Foundation or Omedia Network or Norwegian Agency for Development, Tata Trust, Pratiksha Trust here, they have taken away that risk of failure. They are supporting that. They don't have, so that the institute, our, we would not have taken the risk to develop it. No private industry will take a risk to develop it in the open source. They will say, what is it there for me? But it, uh, Philanthropy can take the risk. So that's what I would want the philanthropy to do. Not actually go and disseminate, innovate, implement, scale up. And that's not the role of the philanthropy. Philanthropy is to take the risk. Take the risk of the pre-innovation risk. That's where philanthropy is. It is the highest risk capital. It's probably the only capital that has zero return expectations. Yeah. So I think how do we use it most effectively? So thank you so much. I think we've had a fairly engaging conversation. It was very useful to understand something that we in India have taken for granted now because we have, we all have it, which is Aadhaar and apply that in a context which is very different in another country and see what it unlocks for you. And also the conversation broadly around the DPI space as well. It was very, very helpful. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Yes. Certainly, I enjoyed this immensely. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Thank you for joining us here on Decoding Impact. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode and the conversation with our expert. To learn more about Satwa Knowledge Institute and our evidence-based insights, follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram, and explore our content on our website, all linked in the description.